Good evening, my fellow Americans. Take the red pill. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. The disastrous rise of misplaced power exists. All we have built, all we have worked for, would be destroyed. There is nothing the political establishment will not do. And this nation will not be fully free until all its citizens are free. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action. These criminals cannot be rewarded. So that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. They're coming after you and I'm just standing in their way. Here I am. You and I have a rendezvous with death. The cost of freedom is always high. Those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Our movement is about replacing a failed and corrupt political establishment well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the Founding Fathers. This is a crusade! This is a holy war against the deep state! We never wanted to be right, but yet things are all adding up to the firestorm. Am I the only one here tonight Shaking my head and thinking something ain't right Is it just me? Am I losing my mind? Am I standing on the edge of the end of time? Am I the only one? Tell me I'm not Who thinks of taking all the good we got And turning it back Hell, I'll be damned I think I'm turning into my old man Am I the only one Willing to bleed Or take a bullet for being free Screaming what the hell at my TV For telling me Yeah, you tell Am I the only one not brainwashed Making my way through the land of the lost Who sees it as it is and worries about his kids As they try to undo all the things he did Am I the only one who can't take no more screaming If you don't like it, there's a freaking door This ain't the freedom we've been fighting for it was something more, yeah, it was something more Am I the only one willing to fight For my love of the red and white and the blue Burning on the ground, another statue coming down In a town near you, watching the threads of old glory come undone the only one
All right. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Josh, and welcome to the Red Pill Project's Daily Dose, live with you Monday through Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is where we bring you the unfolding global conspiracy of the takeover of the United States of America, the implementation of globalism, communism, Marxism, itching its way into our schools and the academia, into institutions, into our government, to our local, our communities, and to our homes, and all throughout. And we're we're giving the warning flags out there. And uh, I was having a little chat here with Chad Stewart. Chad Stewart is our guest tonight. I'm going to welcome him on. And um, we were talking a little bit about this. And we're going to continue that conversation, learn a little bit about Chad here. Chad, if you didn't know, is uh, born in Newport Beach, California, is an award-winning, best-selling author, global strategist, and creativity educator. He founded the prestigious Britfield Institute, dedicated to creativity and literacy. Um, and the Devon Field, a media empire committed to the highest quality in education, publishing, and movie productions. A previous investment banker, Chad has worked in Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, and Merrill Lynch. And he's doing a lot out here with the Britfield and the Lost Crown series that he has published. And you can see it right there, the return. Uh, this is this is uh, actually pretty cool. So I've been reading about this all day, kind of in between moving my house learning a lot about you. I actually, we, I was, I talked to you on American Media Periscope. So you used to, you're one of our guests on American Media Periscope. I think you were on with me and James Grunvig a while back. And I remember this. It was probably, oh, a year, cool. maybe, yeah, probably a year ago or something, but okay. Chad, welcome to the show. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for joining me, especially on such short notice, but you know, please tell everybody a little bit about yourself and about Britfield and what you got going on. And we'll jump right into this. Yeah, great. I'll just do a quick overview. And uh, you already did a great introduction. I appreciate that. But uh, originally from Newport Beach, California, back east, uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts, for about 16 years in my undergraduate in British literature, European history, <clears throat> which will kind of explain the series and, and how that was used and adapted into the series. Uh, and then um, uh, actually, it was about 12 years ago, I was I became an investment. So I went to um, undergraduate graduate school, and then I became an investment banker of all things and uh, worked for the companies you mentioned. It's so funny to hear the names because it's been so long. But it's, it's thanks to them. I was at this boring seminar, Providence, Rhode Island, maybe 12 years ago. And I started to drift and I started to doodle. You know, I was trying so hard to like take notes and pay attention. I think it was insurance. And I just did a simple circle, three lines, a basket, a boy and a girl. And I wrote the boy in the balloon. That was the working title. Went home that, that weekend and it just, I, it just really dawned on me. I just thought, gosh, this would be a really fun story to write. And I say that to inspire the creativity and all your, your guests and all the people that are listening and all your your viewers, because we're all born with creativity. And it's like, I think it's when we're doing something creative that we're really in that zone. And in an hour, you know, goes by like, like two minutes, you know, yeah. when you're writing or, or painting or just planning or exploring or building your company. It's like you have, you have your wonderful website and, and your, your platform. And, and that took a lot of creativity, took a lot of hard work and, and energy. So long story short, um, I just, I just kind of resonate with this idea about these two orphans, Tom and Sarah, 12 years old, starts up in Yorkshire, Northern England, present day, which I think is really important. We can get into that present time. And um, Tom's been an orphan his whole life. He's been at Weatherly Orphanage for six years. This is the year he's going to escape. But I think that's what's kind of fun about book one is like that's stated within like the first two pages. So it's like, OK, he's getting out of here, you know, and you kind of build that anticipation. Eventually they escape. Uh, they commandeer a hot air balloon and they're kind of flying all over England, Oxford, Windsor, London, and finally Canterbury. And But they're chased by the illustrious detective Gowerstone. And so it's like really this high octane, fast paced um, story. I think the um, Epoch Times had compared it. It's a, Dan, it's a combination of Dan Brown and, and C.S. Lewis. And I thought that was pretty mm. cool. But it is. It's um, it's a fast paced, fun, exciting adventure series. Now it's, it's going to be a seven book series. Book one obviously is in England. It's 384 pages. We officially launched August 2019. And since then, it's become um, actually one of the best selling books within the same time frame in history um, and one of the most awarded books in children's fiction, which is just amazing. And um, part of a seven book series, seven movies to follow in development of the first of seven major motion pictures. This is the third draft screenplay, which is kind of exciting. Kind of share that oh, with your cool. audience. So we're moving into pre production uh, very soon. So we can talk about the film and movies. Uh, last year, we launched the theatrical play um, of Britfield and Lost Crown, specifically for elementary and middle schools, which was very cool. And um, our youngest reader is seven, our oldest reader is 93, 55% of our reading audience are adults. Um, and it's we're, we're having worldwide impact. I mean, everything from Brazil and Spain to all the way to New Zealand to Japan. 
to uh, South Korea, to England, to parts of Europe. I mean, it's just amazing and incredible. Like we're selling books, we're shipping books all over. And I just remember like a comment from a woman in the Netherlands, sort of in her 40s. And she's like, and she paid like, I don't know, $40 just to ship book three when it came out <laughs> last year. And uh, she's, I just, I, she goes, I love these series. She goes, I've never read anything like it. I just thought, wow, like the Netherlands, you know? And it's just like been amazing. I, I, I think last week I had a wonderful comment from an 86-year-old woman in Canada that just said, I love this Britfield series and stuff. And and so uh, we kind of talk about the series and, and the literature and, and why it's working and why it's connecting. I think some of the things that make it unique um, by today's standards is, number one, it's in present time. So it's not this futuristic or post-apocalyptic world. It's based on family, friendship, loyalty, and courage. Those are the, the foundation marks. And um, faith and hope. I don't use any of the typical devices that everybody seems to be hooking their wagon to, like witchcraft, demigods, superheroes, mysticism, magic, occultism, none of it. You know, it's as, they're as authentic and real books as they, as they can be. And as children are reading them, adults are reading them, they're learning about history, geography, art, architecture, and culture. And so that's what's kind of exciting is like it's, we call it stealth education. So it's like a, right. kids are reading it, as students are reading it, as homeschoolers are reading it. They're learning all this stuff, but they're actually learning, they're learning creativity, critical thinking, communication, and collaboration. These are the skills that are, they're learning, if you will, subconsciously. Um, and they're resonating to real situations, to real characters that don't solve the problem by waving a wand or, um, you know, calling on their superpowers, which is, again, a disconnect from reality. That's why you're seeing the market so saturated with that stuff right now. Number one, it's a disconnect from reality. So kids aren't learning anything from that. Number two, it's to make them feel less than they are. And I think every child is amazing. I think every child is born amazing. They all have talent. They all have gifts. You know, sometimes, you know, look at me. I, like, I, was like, I launched it when I was like 40. You know what I mean? I kind of came into my own. I mean, I, I have quite a career behind me, but I mean, like children's author at like 40, you know? Like, <laughs> but, um, anyway, so yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, quick. yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you, you know, so I'm liking what you're doing because what you're talking about is is your you're writing books, right? Fiction books that are telling a story, but they're also educating children or the people who read them uh, on the various aspects of, of history. Not only history, but also you know, psychology of culture, of community, it, it's reestablishing that, that groundwork and that foundation that we've lost a lot of in our society. We were yeah. talking before the show here about creativity, and this is one of your ventures here is to, is to go out there and reignite the creativity in people because we have it within us. Um, I, I always think back to um, Steve Jobs and one of the things that he said uh, pertaining to creativity and innovation. He says, look, we, we have all the technology we need in this world right now. All we have to do is be creative and begin to integrate it and innovate it together. And that's how he was able to do what he did is he took existing technologies and he became innovative with them. And like he that. developed the, the futuristic world, the modern world. And, you know, we, we have this problem in today's society is that, like you said, these kids are hooked on all of these mass Hollywood produced superheroes or, or gods or whatever it is that's coming out there with absolutely horrific writing. It's all CGI. Um, and the storylines, you know, tell a very esoteric and sometimes occult story that typically aligns with a, a negative connotation. But then on the other side of it is that there's nothing that is coming about that is teaching the, the true kind of essence of a lot of, of these storylines. One of my favorites being the hero's journey. Yeah. And this is something that we have to bring back in the culture because it's that which stimulates the mind and brings that mind to such a large degree to produce that person to be creative, to go out there and, and dream. Cause I, I think as Americans, the one thing that we've forgotten how to do is how to dream. We've forgotten how to dream and we've forgotten how to go out there and get those dreams and make them happen and become a reality. And the reason is, is because we've lost that connectivity to our creativity. And one of the main reasons is because we have all of these various agendas within our society that are infiltrated within academia. They're infiltrated within institutions. They've hijacked history. They've hijacked uh, politics. And what they're doing is they're ripping away all of those things that that form a culture, that form a community. They're taking away all those, uh, I, I typically, I use various different words, but the, the ethos or the zeitgeist, right? They're transforming that away from what it was traditionally in this country. And I mean, I got two young kids and 
Um, I have a highly artistic and creative daughter and she doesn't want to do anything else other than create to do those things. Right. But she's horrible at math, but that's okay. Right. We can work with that. And, you know, I got another, I got a son. Like with math, I mean, it's like, you know, I was, I I had an architectural and development company when I was in New England and I was in banking and I never needed anything beyond basic math. And I think this whole push with math, and don't get me wrong. I mean, if you, if you're a mathematician, that's great. Do, you know, go up to to those levels, but to be hammering it throughout um, elementary, high high school, and even into college, I mean, for what, you know, you're never going to use it. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I get the aspects of mathematics, but it's like, you're going to get a lot more out of music. You know, um, because of what it does to the brain and how it fires it up. And we'll talk about that with creativity or writing or storytelling. Storytelling is the number 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 third most important skill set in the world. Isn't that interesting? Creativity is number one. Communication is number two. But go on. Well, I, and I love that because I consider myself a storyteller is is what I do is I, I take the story of the world and I try to express it and through my own thoughts, my ideas, my beliefs. And I try to do that in a, in a highly communicative way. Um, but when we look at children these days is there's this lacking my 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 children's ki- uh, friends will come sleep over and you just see these kids that they don't have that foundation they don't have that structure whether it's at home or in school um you know the the real world is going to be a wake up call i actually had a, a conversation with my son the other day he's he's 12 and uh we, we got home and my daughter went inside and I, I told him to stand there because there's a few things going on in life and i wanted to talk to him about a few things and you know, I said, what, what do you think the world is? He goes, well, you know, I used to think that it was all, you know, peace and, and peace and kindness and rainbows. And he goes, honestly, I wish it was that, but I'm realizing now that it's not. And I said, no, you know, we live in a, a dog eat dog world. And don't get me wrong. There are those moments of, of peace and tranquility and, and love and, and all those things. But the real world out there that is formulating right now is a dog eat dog world. And we talked about a lot of different topics, which was really cool. It was really good. And he was very very receptive of it. But, you know, we need to stop lying to our children and we need to give them a dose of reality of what the outside world's like. You know, kids that grew up in the 19th century, you know, their parents didn't lie to them about the reality of the world. They didn't lie to them about, you know, responsibility and the chores that needed to be done. Those kids were, you know, put into those situations and things just needed to happen because that was the price of their freedom. And we're in a very similar situation right now, obviously about a highly technologically advanced society, but we're in the same situation where kids are coming up and they're seeing the world and they're not really understanding what it's about. The reason is, is because they don't have the imagination that is growing. They don't have the creativity that is out there and, and stimulated. They're not doing this in the school systems, and most parents aren't doing no. this in in the in the in the household. No, and I love what you said um, about your 12, 12 year old um, son, and, and that's um, that's just beautiful. I was just getting some stats real quick, but um, that's exactly what you should be doing as as parents. You know, is, is having those wonderful conversations with your kids. It, it, you, the the front is is at the home first you know we hope the school and we, we're seeing how that's failing us and we can talk about that but there's so many alternatives including homeschooling that's gone from five million to almost 20 million in the mm-hmm. last three and a half years so i love it when the enemy tries to do something negative and it just it's whacked right back in his face i think this is a great time for excitement and confidence um but it is a it is a hard battle but i love that i when i, I we started a tour in 2019 i drove nine thousand miles i visited 23 states uh visited um over 200 schools and presented in front of more than 40,000 students and um and so it's just great talking with kids i never talk down to them i talk with them kind of like what you were doing with your son and i love that and it's like you don't talk very simple and stuff because kids are kids are bright and amazing especially at that age when you said 12 i'm like oh man it's such a critical age that's where we're so focused on that sort of fifth through seventh if you will you can drop it down to fourth and up to eighth but um, that's the beachhead, and the enemy knows that, and that's why they've been kicking creativity out of the classrooms and out of the schools. Because from creativity, everything blossoms. Creativity is the number one school's uh, mo- most important skill set in the world right now. You know, statistically, you can find it all out there. It's not engineering, which has been offshored for decades and will be replaced, but mainly by uh, technology and AI. I'm not an AI component. I think people that are out there peddling it or thinking there's any good in it is are digging their own grave and a bunch of idiots, frankly. Sorry. Um, 
but all this AI is cool and just like there's nothing cool about AI and it's not needed and never but the one thing that AI will never ever replace is creativity bingo and, and it's a gift from God and um what's great about that too oh but, but AI is creating uh you know artwork no it's not it's plagiarizing artwork oh it's writing yeah. these books no it's plagiarizing other authors that have written those books that were creative but um I just love that but but um, at the core of it, and then we can go any, any direction you want, is we are in a creativity crisis. And I use that word from uh, Dr. Kim. She wrote the book, The Creativity Crisis. She, she surveyed over like 200,000 students over decades and showed really starting in the 1990s how, how schools were killing creativity. And these, these are the results since the 1990s. Killed curiosities and passions, narrowed visions, lowered expectations, stifled risk-taking, destroyed collaboration, Narrowed minds, killed deep thoughts and imagination. You're talking about imagination. Forced conformity, solidified hierarchy. Isn't that interesting? And as a result, <laughs> kids today are less emotionally expressive, less energetic, less humorous. Isn't that sad? Less imaginative, less talkative, less verbally expressive, and so on. And so, I mean, that's where we are today. So on one end, we're in a massive creativity crisis. It's going down like at a 45-degree angle every single year. And yet creativity is the most important skill set in the world. And so they yeah. keep kind of pushing this stuff like accounting. Guess what? 80% of accounting jobs in the next five to seven years will be obsolete because of technology and AI. So by all means, you know, force that horrific accounting job. No offense. It's just like, you know, instead of doing something exciting and starting your own company or, or uh, you know, whatever it is. I mean, being a teacher would be amazing. Being a homeschool teacher, you know, as, as teachers are leaving the public system in, in droves, you know, you got to remember that that there are, are amazing homeschool groups out there that need great teachers and and will pay you. And it's just like, anyway. So those are just some threads. But well, I love what you're talking about. Yeah, it, and I love what you said right there because what we're seeing um, a, a lot of is people are deviating away from the public school systems. People are um, going out there and producing. I, I, I like I was just telling you, I moved. I live in a homestead. I mean, I got I got. It cost me an arm and a leg. I had money from my old house that I sold in Colorado, but we got a two acre homestead right here in, in the middle, well, country Minnesota. It's cold, but you know, we can do outbuildings. We can put another house on the property. We can, we can grow, we can have livestock, we can do all different types of stuff, but this is what people are doing. People are homesteading. People are going and buying one, two, three, five acre plots of land. They're, they're building out on it and they're homeschooling their kids. And what you'll find is like those kids, the neighbor's kids, they'll all start collaborating, playing together. They'll all socialize. The social aspect of homeschooling is uh, one of the largest misconceptions. But, you know, I, I think that um, you're, you're a history buff. I'm a history buff, although we might not agree on history or alternative variations of history. One thing is certain in the early 20th century, there was a major transition in the United States of America. This happened after the roaring 20s and we started entering the periods of the Great Depression. And this happened because a lot of the land, the family owned land was taken back by the banks because of the Great Depression and what happened during that time frame. But specifically is you had family owned land, you had homesteads, you had five, 10, 20, 100 acre plots of land where that whole family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, all sure. lived on those plots of land. And what meant what that meant is that the kids were taken care of by the family. When the mom and the dad were working or tending to the land of the farm, the grandparents were educating them, taking them to the kitchen, giving them the critical skills they needed, inducing creativity into them, reading to them. The aunts and the uncles, there's this massive extended family that we had in the United States of America. And that built the baby boomers, that built the World War II generations sure. that went out there and fought for this country, that fought for freedom because they truly understood what that was all about and what that meant. But that slowly declined and people deviated, I use that word again, deviated away from that system and that model. And one of the things that we find today is that those families that are close knit like that, those um, th those families that have the grandmother and the grandfather living with them or next door neighbors that are integral into the development of their children with aunts and uncles. Do, do you know, and this is interesting in the sense of statistics, do you know what race that is in the United States of America that has the majority of that type of family? What's the question? I'm sorry. So do you know what race in the United States of America that has that specific family structure they are in 5% of the population. 
They are in the top percentile of education, PhDs. They are in the top percentile of doctors, engineers, and the highest paid race in our country. I don't offhand. Asians. Oh, okay. No, I, I noticed that in, even in the 80s, uh, I'm, I'm from Newport Beach, California, and, uh, yeah. and, um, and so we had kind of an influx, especially with UC Irvine, UC, UCSD. And um, but they do that. They do, they they live. I, I noticed that like they, they all live together and they don't they don't extend themselves. You know what I mean? Like the, the 18, they're out of the house and like 21, they're trying to buy a house. Now, they stay together and they're very family oriented. And um, so that doesn't surprise me. But those are great stats. I did want to say um, that, uh, that that whole farm notion is wonderful. And, I'm, and I love that it's growing while they're trying to force us in these little smart cities. There's nothing smart about it. There's nothing smart about your smartphone. It's all just nonsense, but we're expanding. You know what I mean? We're going out and, and we're, re we're reclaiming the land. We're, we're buying acres. I mean, think about the kids that grow up on a farm. I worked on a farm when I was 18 uh, in Kansas and it's like, yikes. I mean, like, you know, hard work. Ever load a hay truck? Yikes. So, um, but I love that. I mean, you got these kids. That, I mean, it's like, you know, they roll up their sleeves at 10 years old and they're going out and they're wrestling this or they're doing that. And you're just building that really that, that, that gumption, that, that character. And I think yeah. the homeschool is doing part of that. And I just want to say one more thing that when I visited my first homeschool group on our tour in Reno, Nevada, we drove up to this little farm of all things. I think it was in Carson. And uh, the first thing I noticed we came through the gate and I just saw like, I think it was like seven or eight boys playing basketball, all different ages, 11, 12, 14, maybe 17 was the oldest. When's the last time you've ever seen that? anywhere on a playground and that was the first thing that struck me i didn't really know much about it right but i just thought isn't that cool the young kids are you know are steaming up to the older kids the older kids are put in a responsibility to look out for the young ones and they're they're cross collaborating they're talking they're learning it's wonderful i know when i was young it's like i i love being with older people because i learned i remember i worked for three self-made millionaires by the time i was 19 or 20 years old and i learned a lot from them i was just a grunt i was like i'd wash their car like once a week yeah. i'd clean their office but I'd watch and listen. I'd ask them questions. And I was, you know, and so um, I like that. But anyway, go ahead. No. And see, you're nailing, you're nailing it on the head right there. Is that this is one of the things that's lacking within our society is we have these kids that are growing up in a, a bland school system that does not go out there and, and and strike curiosity in them. It does not go out there and motivate them to become something more. It doesn't spark imagination or creativity. And what you get is you get these, these introverts that don't want to leave home, don't want to socialize, have no communication skills, or they go out and do to college and education and, you know, they're accepted by other people like them um, who are very much the same that they, they sit in a room and all look at their phones together and, and call that oh, social time. Brutal, right? It's brutal. Yeah. And, and, you know, they typically go out there and study uh, uh, liberal arts and well, no. <laughs> go out there and study feminine studies and things like that at, at, in college. But, you know, I, I don't want to pick on them, but it, it's not because of who they were. It's because of the way their environment around them stimulated them when they were in their youth. I don't remember who it was. It was a Catholic priest of some sort said, give me a child up to age seven and I'll show you a Catholic for years. It's because that children have such a, a, a moldable brain in their youth that they're learning so much by their environment that whatever you stimulate in that environment is really going to set the foundation of the belief structure for that child growing up. And that we're basically raising kids with iPads and cell phones and, you know, throwing up on TV and letting Netflix do the job or just letting YouTube play random videos. And this is how kids are being raised these days. They're being raised by tech, digital technology that is, and this is something that I've studied for a long time, but digital technology that is in training their brain state to a very hypnagogic type of state. So they're putting their brains in, a, in an alpha state, like right now. We have, you know, 60 hertz, 120 hertz, 240 hertz refresh. That's the same thing as a 4-4 rhythm. We were just talking about music. That puts your brain into an alpha, very, very highly receptive state. Your subconscious is wide open to learn new things. You know, that's what this thing does. It's giving off some uh, sub-audio tones right now. Even though I'm not looking at it or doing anything with it, there's, there's 
things happening that are putting my brain into a certain state sure. to make my subconscious open the suggestion. So when I open those apps, it's doing it all that. And that information's flowing in. This is why it becomes so addictive. And that's what we're letting our children be raised by. And that's not setting a good precedent for the future because we're going to have a, the next two generations are going to have a lot of struggles and a lot of problems. And we are, I'm glad there's people like you out there that are helping to remedy this by, you know, inspiring children that go out there and, and be literate, to go out there and read, to, to get the creativity back within the story, you know, as well as become writers themselves and to be, have that creative journey of writing, of, of art and, and of music. Yeah. And exploring. I'm, I'm just thinking real quick, like when I was young, I had building blocks, you know, God mm -hmm. bless my parents. And then those building blocks led into a fort next door that I started building that started as a, as a, as like this with two pieces. And then I had walls and it with it, with it and then a second story. And then, you know, lo and behold, I started working for construction and development company. And, and when I was 17 and then started my own architectural and development company for almost 10 years, when I was back East in new England, that put me through college and I did very well. And I'm, and that came from the building blocks. There's a great book out there. It was years ago, maybe a couple of decades called coloring outside the lines. By Roger Shank, and he talked about when he took his son to Paris for the first time. I think his son was 15, but very mature. And his son was fascinated with the um, underground, you know, tube system. And he says, like, he gave him, like, you know, I don't know, 40 francs or 100 francs or whatever euros at the time, and said, you know, knock yourself off. And the kid just took off and just had the best time, you know, going from here and going there. And he's now a city planner, you <laughs> know. And so I'm using this example. It's like, you know, you take your your child down on, the, you know, uh, to the beach you know, once a week and walk along the, the tide pools there and look at the different things and and uh, and go to some of the little museums along there. And, and then, you know, 10 years later, they're, they're a biologist. You know what I mean? And, and and it's that kind of massive impact. It's always funny. I There's a place where I walk and run down here. And every now and then I'll see a parent, you know, jogging with one of those strollers with a little kid. It's really kind of yeah. cute. And I'll like this, maybe like one or two. And I'm like, I wonder if he's like, I wonder if that kid grows up to be a runner, you know, or, or, or an explorer because the kid loves being outside. But it does have such a massive impact, uh, especially at that, at that young age. That's why I just tell parents and, uh, you know, across the board, I get that you're taxed. I get that you're strained. It gets that time's limited. That's all by design. The fact that your dollar's worthless. The fact that you now have to work more hours to be still to, still to be broke at the end of the month. I get that. That's all by design. You're not alone. You know, you know, 50, 60 percent of the entire population in the United States are one paycheck away from bankruptcy. That's a fact. And that's by design. Things are changing. And things are coming around full circle. But with that said, spend that hour with your kids, you know, a couple times a week, maybe Saturdays from like, you know, 12 to 2 is creative time. And write a story with them, you know, and go online and pull up just a sort of a structure if you don't know how to do it. Um, or or invent a board game, you know, and have fun and say, okay, what's this board game going to take? Okay, and then who are our characters and stuff? And just have fun. It's not about finishing. It's not the fact that you're going to get it published, which you may, you know. I mean, you know, the 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 the... I think it's quite interesting as the author of, of Winnie the Pooh, you should probably, probably know the story. Um, he was a writer, but he was, he was a nonfiction writer. And then he was in the military for a while and he would, you know, make up stories to put his kids to sleep at night. Mm. Uh, Winnie the Pooh eventually decided to write it down and publish it. Do you realize that Winnie the Pooh is the most successful children's franchise series in history? It's worth over $80 billion, billion wow. with a B. Winnie the Pooh is a franchise. I only say that to say that you never know what will come from these ideas. But it's not about that. It's about the kid working with you, listening to you, you spending time with them, using their brain. One of my favorite exercises that I'll do in classrooms is I'll come in there with a three-act structure. It's real simple. You know, inciting incident, plot point one, midpoint, plot point two. I'll break the, the, the classroom up into like groups of like four to five, never more than five. I'll give them like 15 minutes and say, look, you know, Hollywood just gave me or Paramount Pictures, 20th Century Fox just gave me. 50 million dollars to do a movie what are we going to write and you know I give them some time to think you know is it action history i come around i kind of work the groups and then after that you know each one pitches me an idea we vote on it as a classroom and then we write it and it's <laughs> amazing i get the entire classroom like 30 40 people that probably never ask questions or communicate and we're all in the same boat and we're writing this story in real time okay where does it take place who's our main character What's some of his strengths? What's some of his weaknesses? Oh, that's a great idea. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, okay, it was Colorado. So why Colorado? Okay, what time of the year? Is it spring or is it winter? And these kids right now, within 15 minutes of that exercise, are, are um, learning creativity, critical thinking, communication, and collaboration. Four C's, the foundation of creativity from a simple exercise. And so I say that, that, you know, you can do this with your kids. 
you know, it's just, there's so much in it and so much to it. So I absolutely love that. What you just said there, because to be successful in life, you know, you go to all these personal development things all over the place and they're going to say, well, you have to have goals and you have to plan your goals and, you know, but really what it is, it's, it, it's habits and behaviors that make up the accomplishment of those goals. And this is one thing that they never tell you is that it's all, it's changing those habits and behaviors that are embedded within your subconscious mind that, that play out throughout your life. Right. But it, it, those habits and behaviors, they will never change unless that story you tell yourself, unless you begin to change your own story. And we, we have a story of our lives, right? We have a story. Some people are telling them the story of their past and they live within that realm. You know, some people are telling themselves fantastical stories of what they want, but yet their habits and behaviors don't change. But I think that we failed the plan. I think that we fail to, to tell ourselves that story of who we want to become, of that, those great things that we could do because we don't dream anymore. We don't inspire. We don't innovate. And since we don't have that, those stories are lacking. And then there's nothing to work towards in the sense of creativity towards that, that manifestation of our own internal story. So I think when you do that with children, what that's actually doing is that's showing them that I can create something right here on paper in front of me with a story by knowing the process. That process is nothing more than those habits and those behaviors that lead to that outcome. And that outcome is the accomplishment of something great of the story that was told that has this meaning or that meaning or whatever it is. But now I can do the same thing with my life. And that gets embedded within our subconscious on a psychological level to where if kids learn that over and over and over and over again, they will be successful in life. Yeah, I remember hearing uh, from a pastor that one success, I mean, one encouraging word can change a person's life. And I just thought, yeah. that, and we know there's a there's a massive power in words, good and bad. And uh, and you probably have seen that uh, thing where uh, with the frozen water, you know, and he, and he writes different words yeah. uh, and freezes it. And it's just like, it's like it's the dissidence versus the, versus the flow. It's like you write love and it's like the beautiful crystals and you write like evil or hate and they're negative crystals. And it's like, that has such an impact, especially at kids. But I love, I want to come back and maybe build on this foundation about dream. We, we as a nation need to dream dreams again. I you know, do. and we we yeah. need to exceed our grasp. Oh, if a man's reach should exceed his grasp, what's a heaven for? That's Browning. You know, I love that. You know, and we should be, and that's kind of what I'm doing with Britfield. It's just like, why not? You know what I mean? And and um, and you know, everyone's kind of wanted to narrow you from from your goals or what you want to do. It's like, why not? And, you know, and anything's possible. But with that said, you know, anything of quality is going to take time. There are no overnight successes. That's all a lie. That's all fake. Oh, this person that one goes like over like you know six months or a year and I was like no it's not it's all they're, they're actors it's all paid to play you know every overnight success takes one to two decades you you've done your research i've done my research i read bio, biographies i read histories on all these businesses all these companies most of it's flashover substance most of it's false it takes a lot of work but it's okay you know what i mean anything of quality is going to take time there is something to that you know the difference between a hobby and a, and a, and a profession is about eight to ten thousand hours that's ten eight to ten thousand dedicated hours I'm coming in now to, to probably 12 to 13,000 hours of writing, you know, my novels I'm on, as I'm on book four and, uh, and then working on other things and stuff. And it's hard and it's, but it's great. You know what I mean? And it's just like, you think I want to get every morning and like, and like write for three or four hours. No, you know, I'm burned out. I'm tired. I'm, but, but, you know, I get into my zone or I, I do different things or sometimes I'll just edit, but I put the time in, you know what I mean? And we as a nation, honestly, especially on the conservative side, we need to be setting the bar higher than than anyone. Hollywood's not setting it; they've lowered the bar. Schools aren't setting it; they've lowered the bar. Yeah. Television. I mean, there's there's an 85% gap for quality, family-focused quality content out there that we we couldn't even fill if we started, you know, with thousands of people today. And that's wonderful. That's why Britfield is 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 doing what it's doing. You know what I mean? It's just like it's feeding it's feeding children's souls. You know, they're reading real quality content, fun, fast-paced adventure series that's grounded in, in in friendship and family and it's feeding their soul all this other stuff's flashover substance it's nonsense it's like mcdonald's it smells good tastes good but it just destroys your body and that's what <laughs> these novels are doing that's what these movies are doing and they know that hollywood knows that and, and you were right i mean it's been a slow burn it didn't happen overnight this didn't happen over a decade they've been at this stuff for i mean they, their plans are, are for 50 100 200 years ahead of things and when they make a plan they'll fulfill it 
And if, and if they get caught with it, they'll just shift it, but they, they stick to it. But it is a slow burn and we need to be reversing those, those things right now. One thing about this too, about creativity, and I'll, and I'll end on this and let you go, but um, and I've probably said it before on, on other things, but George Land was a, uh, was, a, was a researcher and writer and he did this, he created this um, creativity test that he eventually put into the educational systems and schools because he's very interested to see where kids were at. And at five years old, 96 out of 100 kids were little geniuses, just off the charts, five years old. And you know what? That doesn't surprise me. Tested them yeah. again at 10 and that dropped down to 30%. Tested them again at 15 and it dropped down to 12%. And so it went from 96 to 12% in 10 years, basically mostly from the education system because education was putting, you know, teaching creativity out of kids and stuff. But we're all born little geniuses. We're all born creative and we're all born gifted. And you might not think so. And it's a certain genetics. Genetics is another, that's bunk science. You know, that's another myth. Um, but anyway, go ahead. Oh, no, absolutely. And, you know, the the whole hereditary dilemma is is absolutely junk these days. And what we're really finding is that you're right. You know, kids are all born with their own unique gifts and we must you know, discover them and embrace them and, and, and help to motivate them. And like my, like my daughter, she, she loves art. She loves creativity. She loves like, and it was funny too, because I was buying her sketch pads. I was buying her paints. Right. Okay. And uh, what, what she's doing is, is she started like molding the paper up with water and doing paper mache. And then, you know, we start getting her <laughs> modeling clay and she started like building, you know, characters to play with in her dollhouse. And it's Please. like, like blowing your, you know, blowing your mind on this, but you know, you, you embrace those types of things with children and they will blossom and bloom in front of you. And they'll be doing things that you never even thought of. Like they're coming and pulling things out. They're like, like, Whoa, that, that was pretty good. Like that was, that was smart. And, and you also see it relate over in other things like, like math or reading or, or history or other subjects that they do, they, they tend to learn with those same development of skills that they're developing within the passions that they love in life. But I think what's happening right now in this country is what Yuri Bezmenov talked about in his 1990 uh, interview. Yuri Bezmenov was a, he was a reporter journalist who came over from the Soviet Union to the United States, and he talked about the KGB's 50-year um, plan of the United States of America is that they're not going to come and invade your borders. They're not going to bomb your cities. They're going to slowly invade with Marxism, starting in the educational systems and in the institutions, and then they'll take over politics, and they will erode your, your country from the inside very, very, very slow generationally. And that's exactly what they've done since that point in time. And, you know, fighting back against that isn't taking up our guns, isn't yelling and screaming at our politicians. It's, it's, it's empowering our children. It's empowering and bringing back that family dynamic to yes, where ch that. children have that support at home. I just love what you're saying about your daughter. And it's just like, you know, she likes sketching. So what do you do? You go out and you buy her a sketchbook. How expensive was that? Wasn't that expensive, you know? Mm -hmm. Then you got her into modeling clay and you go out and buy chunks of clay. How much fun is that for kids to make stuff, you know? And they are, they're just brilliant little geniuses. I mean, for every manuscript of Britfield, so I'm coming up on my my um, fourth manuscript for book four, but um, we would take it out to, to elementary schools, private and public. Hundreds of kids would read my manuscript, third or fourth draft. And uh, they'd have three weeks to read it fill out a survey, maybe two and a half pages, just some general questions kind of rolling in. And then I'd come in and I'd talk with them. And I was no longer the, the adult. I was no longer the teacher. I was no longer the writer. I was a pupil. And I, would, I was sincere. And they and kids resonate with that and they connect with that. And I was learning from them. I'm like, well, you know, I was kind of confused about this or, you know, like at the very beginning or, you know, like at first it's like, oh my gosh, I love it. You know, fat, fat, and I'm like, great story or I love it. My favorite book ever, you know, and I'm like, oh, but what do you don't like about it or that you could change anything and i'm i am there learning from 11 12 and 13 year olds because they're freaking geniuses you know what i mean and they're amazing and they're my audience you think yep. i'm gonna get a bunch of adults that are paid to play all these critics out there they're all paid to play they're all failed artists and writers you know no one listens to them no one cares what they think and say um but anyway i just i just i love that of what you do for your kids you know and, and i'll be honest look, look and if your kid wants to play a musical instrument you don't need to go out and buy a trumpet that was kind of my instrument when i was growing up um rent one you know what i mean and see how it goes you know what i mean and if it takes great and then maybe eventually buy it you know and if so, you don't like it and shelve it you know then then on to the next thing you know it, because it really what it comes down to and you've been hitting this from from day one 
it's about the environment that you create for your kids. You know, it's, it's, it's the only difference right now is opportunity and environment. An environment where it's 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 safe, if you will, and 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 not distracting. And opportunities. You know, if you want to if you want to color, buy them a big box of coloring crowns and paper, and you know, you know, color your brain out. You know what I mean? They were interested in building. Get them building blocks or Legos or or, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And get them into it and have them fun. I mean, I would sit there for hours. I was a child building it like these huge like skyscrapers for my building blocks, you know. And um, anyway, go ahead. well, no, in you, it's funny you said uh, you know trumpet. So my son, my son's twelve years old, and he goes to a new school, and it it's different. He's got to make friends, and he's in choir, and he's like, I don't like this. I want to join band. Okay, well, what? he's going in sixth grade wanting to join band when you're supposed to join in fifth grade. And I'm like, well, what do you want to play? And he's like, saxophone. So we get him a sax. So I go out and buy him a saxophone. And he worked hard every day, like digging into that saxophone. And uh, that one breaks. I get him, I get him actually a used Yamaha, which was a nice one. And uh, he's rocking it. Then he comes back to me, goes, I want a trumpet. So he's rocking it on the saxophone. I'm like, sure, I'll buy a trumpet. Gets a trumpet, playing the trumpet. Now he's like, I want a trombone, right? He's got he's got a, some djembe drums, some uh, African djembe drums, right? We used to have an electronic drum set. We had to get it when we moved. We had to sell it when we moved. But you get a drum set for your kids when they're three, four, five. It's going to be annoying. It's going to be horrible. But guess what? It's going to teach them exactly syncopation, rhythm. It's going to teach them tempo. It's going to teach them all these different things. My daughter, she's got a, a Fender Squire guitar that, you know, we sit down and I teach her chords and notes and, and, and scales and all these different types of things. And in that, having that in a household, even if you don't know how to play, you know, give a child an instrument, they'll figure it out. But music I find is one of those gateways for children's creativity, at least in my mind. Oh, it is. And what's funny is, is there's just, I mean, there's tons of research out there. And so if you're interested for anyone that's listening, do your research. Yeah. But they find like at, at the top Fortune 100 companies, especially in the tech industry, they're looking for, for, for um, applicants that have played a musical instrument and, and at least read music. They don't have to be a musician. They don't have to be anything. But they know for a fact that people that, that grow up playing a musical instrument are better leaders, are better managers, are better under crisis, are better brainstormers, can shift and move um, and are creative as things move. So it has nothing to do, like we're talking about musicians. You mean, Some people might be listening like, well, you know, he's not going to be a famous musician. Well, number one, you don't know. Number two, he might be one of the greatest music teachers that's ever lived you know what i mean and and you don't know but I, but it's more than it's, it's what comes from it it's what comes from the clay it's what comes from the crowns and the coloring it doesn't mean that they're going to be necessarily a painter or an artist but it's what they're learning and visualizing and thinking and you know i get to tell you what you know when you have a company those are the people you want around the table when you're trying yeah. to figure out you know what's our next move or what's our marketing campaign or what do we do in this crisis situation they're thinking outside the box because they grew up outside the box because they they, they grew up expansive and um and that's what that's what art does that's what music does yeah and, and it's beautiful too i, I love because what we kind of express it in this this one kind of way of evolving psychological way, but on a neurological way, what's really happening to these children is they're reinforcing those neurological pathways. They're creating new neurological pathways. They're allowing the density of those, those neural connectivities to increase at a massive rate when they're a child and they're being stimulated by all these different things to when they become an adult. Man, I'm telling you, you got a superhuman brain. And that's how you do it, people. I mean, and, and right it, now, look at the people in this world right now who don't have that in their life. It's interesting, too. Uh, uh, what would you think? Um, top MBA schools or, or top MFA schools for the most successful entrepreneurs? It comes from MFA. Statistically, uh, graduates from uh, masters in fine arts are more successful entrepreneurs than the, than the hardcore business people. Because, again, it's narrow minded and they're not thinking big. Um, but again, as you're talking, I'm just thinking like, just give your kids as much opportunity as possible. You know, take them to the park and, you know, maybe once a month and you guys throw the Frisbee and, and just have some fun. Take them to the lake and walk around, look at the different birds and the trees. You know, give them as many, take them to the museum. And it's like, you don't go all day. I mean, I don't go to the museum yeah. all day. Go for an hour and go to one room and say, hey, you know, look at all the pictures and tell me what, what your favorite one is and, and, and then tell me why. Okay, cool. Let's go get some ice cream. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I mean, pretty soon they're like, hey, when are we going back to the museum? You know what I mean? And, and everything is about balance. It's never, you know, I'm not knocking mathematics completely. 
but it's not hammering mathematics all for, for, for year after year to do what? You know, it's just like no offense, you know, but it's like balance, you know, it's some science, it's some history, it's some art, it's some music. You know, I remember growing up uh, in elementary school, I think it was fourth grade, and we, I played everything. We, 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 in our music, I, yep. I played, I played the flute that didn't take, played the violin, that was kind of cool, but that didn't take, played the trumpet, that took, you know, that was my musical instrument. And then I got into the piano and loved that. So, yeah, that's, that, that's what they did when I, when I went through grade school in the 80s. I mean, uh, we started band, I think, in third grade, not sixth or fifth grade, but it was third grade. And you'd go, Mr. Toyama, if he's out there watching, Mr. Toyama, <laughs> you'd go to his room and he had all the instruments just all there. And it'd be like, well, what 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 are you attracted to? What are you drawn to? And, you know, you'd go and you'd play the tuba because it was fun. You'd play the drum and everybody's playing the drum, but not everybody had the the ability to play the drum. And, sure. you know, I, I picked up the flute. I picked up the flute. I'm like, you know, let's play, uh, you know, let's play some, some, some beautiful harmonies. And, you know, I played that for, for a year and I'm like, isn't really me. I'm not going to jam out the Aqualon on this. It's just not going to happen, you know? And, um, uh, you know, I went from the flute and I went to the baritone and I love the baritone. I can play, I can play brass instruments. And once you play the, once you play a three, uh, three noted brass instrument, you can play basically all of them. Right. And you know, that's why my son, you know, like he's playing the saxophone and this thing is complicated. I don't even know what the hell all these things are doing all over the place. Right. But then he gets a trumpet and he's just, you know, he knows what's going on. He understands the note structure and the scale structure. And we got a, uh, we got a, a big electric keyboard, right. A massive uh, Panasonic one that I bought years ago. And we get on that and like, I'll go on there and I'll just, I'll just start jamming on it. And they'll come up and they're like, da, 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 da. right. And we'll play along. And, you know, it's, it's those things that reinforce that neurological structure to expand and grow within those children's minds. And that it's something that we all must do for our children because it's not happening. And for, I, I know my audience knows this, that we're going to watch the next two to three generations that are coming up right now. Um, it's going to be a very, very difficult time for them. But if your children are still young and you're still able to mold them into somebody who can tell that story, who understands that story, who has that that foundation within their life, they're going to be highly successful in that world. Very true. And that's kind of what we're all about. And that's what we're trying to inspire. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like uh, Keith Jarrett, if you're familiar with him, he's a piano player and he, and he, would, he, he had sold out concerts like in Paris and Greece and all these other places, um, Athens. <clears throat> and he'd sit down at the piano and he'd have nothing, you know, and he'd just start playing and see where it took him. And it was so cool. It was the improvi Im improvisation of the piano. And that's what I picked up. I was, I, was, uh, I was living in England for a couple of years and there was this kind of manor house that I was staying at. Had a piano and it was just bro. I just love sitting down and just going with it, you know, going with yeah, the tune yeah. and just having fun and stuff. And and um, am I a professional pianist? No, you know, but I loved it and it was fun and it was exciting. The first thing I learned to play was Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. That was a tough one, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I time it. I would time it just exactly and do all kinds of fun things. But I remember when I was playing the trumpet, I used to do something where I, I had little tape recorders. This goes way back, right? And then I so I'd play a song. And then I'd tape it, and then I and then and then on both of them, and then I'd, I'd I'd play one that would start, and then I'd play the next one, and then I'd start playing, and you have this like harmony of three trumpets in the same hmm. song, almost like Pachelbel's Canon. Um, but again, you know, just cool stuff. And I still but, but that was that. creativity that yes. did that. Where, so where did the stimulation of that idea come from? Right. It's looking around your environment, seeing a tape recorder going like I could record this and I could layer it on top of other recordings. And that's creativity. And then you create something that's beautiful and it's magnificent. Maybe it was or maybe it's not a horror. I don't know. But 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 you you learn from that and we learn from the mistakes and we perfect that. And that is what being human is about in this world. That's how this whole modern world came about is because of people going out there and doing exactly that, looking at their environment and saying, you know, I love doing this one thing. And how can I make this one thing more interesting or or, or better? Or how could I do it to the to, to, to increase its its resound effect on myself? Right. The, the benefit of myself and people, you know, I, I always used to say this to my audience is look around you right now, look around you, everything around you, the walls, the, the lights, the, the paintings, the, the computers, the monitors, everything in front of you was once an idea in somebody's mind that they have brought forward. 
And once we start to understand that the whole world, the whole modern world was created in that same light, then we have to understand that we have to be the ones that are reestablishing that foundation to draw that creativity back into the world, to draw that inspiration, that innovation back into the world. Because if we don't do it, nobody else is because the Marxists that are trying to, the Marxists that have infiltrated, that are trying to take over, it was, if you remember looking at the Cold War and all the pictures throughout the Soviet Union or Marxist China, it was bland. There was no creativity. They all drove the same little gremlin cars. They all lived in the same box houses, all painted the same color. Socialism, Marxism lacks creativity because it's the death of the spirit. That's what it is, the death of the spirit, you know. But um, I I love what you're saying. Kids will never know what they're capable of doing until you give them a chance to do it. And I was thinking as you're talking, when I was in sixth grade, we had this wonderful teacher, elementary, Cornell Mar Elementary School. And our assignment was to write a book. And, you know, when you're 12 years old, you don't want to really write, you don't want to write more than a page, you know? And I think we had, it had to be like 20, 20 25 pages. Different, right? Because you're writing a paragraph and you could do a picture and stuff. And it's worth like a third of your grade. That's when I learned to write about what you know and write about what you love. I love James Bond movies. So my first official book, that was like maybe 25 pages with pictures that I drew, was James Bond Eat Your Heart Out. I was a 12-year-old um secret agent working for the british government and was assigned to chase down this villain all through europe fast forward 40 you know 40 years later brit field in the lost crown you know and it's because of that seed that was planted i didn't finish the book and say oh my gosh i want to be an author farthest from my mind but that seed was planted and someone gave me an opportunity to write and to pull something inside me that i did not know was there so awesome well Chad, this was this was an excellent conversation. I mean, I, I do a show on Friday nights called Conversations on the Fringe, and this is more of one of those conversations, even though this is kind of like a a, a normal conversation. But to, to this day, it's kind of on the fringe. But Chad, this was fantastic. I appreciate you coming on with us. Um, that hour went by fast. Guys, you can find uh, Chad over there, and this is at Britfield.com, B-R-I-T-F-I-E-L-D.com for everybody who will be listening on the audio podcast. For everybody out there in the live chats, if you just go to the live chats, you can see that link popping down there. You can learn more about Britfield and what Chad is doing on over there, as well as pick up your copies. And uh, for anybody else uh, who's listening on the audio podcast or any uh, other versions of our of our show, you can find that link linked up in the description. Chad, a delight. I, I'll actually, we're gonna, I'm going to have you back on conversations on the fringe one night. We'll, we'll just. I'd love it. We could di- we can go we can dive deep into a specific topic. It was fun because we're kind of talking about creativity tonight, and I love yeah. this is actually the kind of interviews I like to do because I, I'm exhausted from sort of just <laughs> going over all the other framework and stuff. It's. It's great just to free flow and talk and um, yeah. And, yeah, and plant seeds and encourage people. So, yeah. Absolutely. Right. Thank Much you. love, respect, guys. God bless. Take care. Have a great night. We'll see you guys next time. Try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon.